0: The Accounting Matters podcast lives up to its name. Every other week, we bring you a new episode where we cover vital accounting topics that actually matter to accounting professionals. Each episode, we introduce a new topic and then highlight and discuss the key areas. We're your hosts, Adam Olson and Zach Smith, and we hope you stick around for all things accounting from A to Z. From Embark's headquarters in Dallas, Texas, you're listening to Accounting Matters. I'm Adam Olson, Embark's accounting advisory practice leader, and I'm joined again in the podcast studio with Sarah Kiefer, a managing director out of our Houston office, uh, to talk about one of the most, I would say, popular, always trending topics, specifically with SEC registrants, and that's around non-GAAP disclosures. So non-GAAP disclosures obviously make their ways into a lot of different filings and earnings releases. We hear about them more and more, particularly from an SEC staff, as it's a popular area where lots of SEC comments are often raised. Um, And we're seeing the popularity rise as registrants continue to add numerous non-GAAP disclosures to their filings to enhance the storytelling um, of their companies themselves. And so I'm happy to have you, Sarah, join me. I know you've uh, spent a lot of time dealing with non-GAAP disclosures in your past and working with clients here at Embark, so so glad to have you here. Welcome back.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm excited to chat about this.
0: So as I kind of alluded to kind of in the opening here, um, you know, we we do hear more and more. I know like there's always people talking about SEC comment letter trends, and I think non-GAAP is always like one of the top items that's always picked on there. Um, so it's definitely not something that's new per se, but maybe if you could just kind of set the stage for our listeners here is kind of what's the where did kind of the concept of non gaap disclosures originate? And, you know, what are we kind of seeing? Why are we seeing so much around this still today?
1: Yeah, so these non-GAAP measures are definitely not new. Um, The SECs had rules and interpretive guidance around this um, dating all the way back to 2001. Um, In 2003, they actually adopted the rules, uh, Regulation G and Item 10E of uh, Regulation SK, to address the public company's use of non-GAAP measures, Mm -hmm. um, which are not calculated or presented um, in accordance with U.S. GAAP, of course. Um, So... Of course, these measures have increased in prominence over the last couple of decades, um, and the differences between the non-GAAP measures and the actual U.S. GAAP-accepted measures um, have become notably larger over time. Yep. So, um, accordingly, you know, the SEC has had an increased focus on these um, and issued some uh, they've actually issued multiple um, compliance and disclosure in- interpretations over the years to address these concerns about the non-GAAP measures. Um, and the most recent of which was actually in December of 2022, which was pretty extensive.
0: Yeah, and I know we'll get into more of that um, in our conversation today, kind of talking about some of the themes they hit on there. But maybe if we're taking it back to the basics, um, you know, for someone that maybe – hasn't dealt with non-GAAP before, maybe they're a private company looking to become a public registrant and will now kind of use non-GAAP measures. Like, what exactly does the rule kind of define qualifies as a non-GAAP measure? Like, how do we, how do we think about that in terms of what the regulations say?
1: Yeah. So in accordance with both of those regulations we were just mentioning, um, they define a non-GAAP measure pretty similarly. And it's a numerical measure of a registrant's like historical or future financial performance position or cash flow. Um, And then it is adjusted um, to either exclude amounts or is subject to adjustments that have the effect of excluding those amounts um, that are actually included. (laughs) So within the actual gap measure, um, or vice versa, you're including adjustments that are typically excluded in the gap measure. Yeah,
0: makes sense. Definitely helpful explaining that can you talk a bit about then what are some of the key requirements of the rules themselves around these measures? Like, what do you, you know, if you're a preparer and you're, you know, working through your company's non GAAP measures, like, what are some things that you have to keep in mind as you're thinking about some of those disclosures?
1: So, in Regulation G, um, we also call it Reg G, uh, provides the broad disclosure requirements um, that apply to all the public disclosures of non GAAP financial data um, that a registrant might make. Um, So this regulation, it's important to note that this applies not only to like written um, disclosure, but any type of oral disclosure, too. So that can include things like webcast or earnings calls or anything that company might put out to the public. Um, So Rule 100A um, requires those registrants to disclose a non-GAAP financial measure, um, but you also must present the most comparable GAAP measure with it. Um, And then you need to reconcile from that GAAP measure back down to your non-gap measure. Um, this needs to be quantitative and it needs to be in like really clearly presented manner so people can understand how are you getting from your gap measure to that non-gap measure. Um, Then Rule 100B also has some high-level guidance on things that are prohibited or could could potentially be misleading for these non-GAAP financial measures. This rule states that the registrant uh, cannot publicly disclose a non-GAAP financial measure that contains an untrue statement um, or omits like material facts that would essentially make it misleading.
0: Yeah, so a lot of red tape involved here, which makes sense because... Uh, you know, obviously the SEC is there to protect investors and don't want to mislead investors with some of the non-GAAP measures that are used. So you mentioned things that are kind of prohibited within rule 100b. Can you kind of expand on any other specific restrictions that the rules lay out? For example, trying to include or exclude certain elements of non-GAAP measures. Are there specific examples within the guidance that they tend to point out there?
1: Yeah. And um, they specifically talk about like on a non-gap measure, you can't adjust it to basically eliminate or like smooth your results. Um, So you don't anything that's in like identified as Non-recurring, it's infrequent, it's unusual. Um, if it happened in the last couple of years, or it happens again in the next couple of years, they're not considering it can't infrequent, characterize it as right? right? So that that's going to be still considered a recurring item. Yep. Um, you know, also you can't present on the face of the financial statements any non-GAAP uh, measures unless it is permitted by that particular regulator. Also, like when you think about performance statements, you don't want to present. Um, any non-GAAP financial information in those performance statements either they cannot be on the face of those financials.
0: Yeah, and I know there's a, a number of others, and Item 10E and kind of goes through some additional items that are, are explicitly prohibited as it relates to non-GAAP. So definitely worth taking a read through for for our listeners that may not be as familiar with some of the guidance there. Yeah. Um, so outside, you know, I think a lot of people think about non-GAAP measures included in companies recurring filings so their annual 10k and their 10qs they may refer to certain non-GAAP measures where else do we typically see companies use non-GAAP measures i know you hinted at it briefly but maybe people didn't pick up on it that some of these rules actually do apply to also like oral communication so can you expand on some other areas where companies typically use non-GAAP in practice
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, Probably where we see this a lot is going to be like in your earnings release. So that's either furnished or filed in your 8K. Um, And along with that, investor presentations. So if those investor presentations are filed... Webcasts. So webcasts are a big one. They come out and they do their earnings release, that webcast portion of it as well is covered. Um, And then sometimes on company websites, you'll see non-gap measures um, on like their investor page, or you'll just see it kind of highlighted in like graphics throughout, like whatever they want to typically highlight on their company page or on their about page or something like that. Um but you know these the SEC non-GAAP presentation disclosure requirements are they can be more or less restrictive just depending on where you're actually presenting and communicating this information. Right.
0: but just important to know that the SEC is looking at all these things, right? so they right. could yeah, it could raise into question if you're you know may not just be in your typical filings that you may be thinking of, but they're also looking at other avenues that you could be presenting non-GAAP information that potentially could mislead or um, cause investor confusion so right so if we're thinking about non-gap measures within filings themselves so kind of circling back to that like where specifically in those filings do we tend to see companies kind of place these non-gap measures are there certain sections that they tend to pop up more than others like what what are some of the more common um scenarios that we see with filings
1: Yeah. So in your 10K, you're typically going to see this in like the business section, your selected financial data, your MD&A. In your Q, you're really just seeing it in your MD&A typically. Um, And then for foreign private issuers, they'll see this in form 20F in the operating financial review section.
0: Okay. So if a registrant moves forward... And they're going to include certain non-GAAP measures, let's say, in their filings. I know there are additional disclosure requirements that have to kind of accompany in those measures themselves. Can you talk a bit about what are some of those additional disclosures that need to actually accompany the measurement itself?
1: Yeah, correct. I mean, there are um, additional disclosure requirements, like you just mentioned. Um, probably most notably is going to be um, the direct comparable financial measure that's actually calculated in accordance with GAAP. So, um For example, like if you're presenting adjusted EBITDA, like net income is the most is the most closely comparable gap financial measure. So you need to present that as well. Then you're going to want to reconcile. So I talked about this a little bit earlier, but you're going to want to reconcile from that gap number back down to your non-gap measure. um, And it needs to be in a clearly understood format. A lot of times this is tabular. So a lot of times you're just doing a calculation step by step. Um, Another thing is that registrants are going to have to disclose a statement um, for the reason that management believes that this measure is useful um, in evaluating their business, um, as well as like any other use of this measure. So if they're using it for any other reason, comp, anything like that, um, they need to disclose that as well.
0: Okay. Yeah, that's helpful. And I'll I'll add, because we keep kind of harping on it, is that a lot of those disclosure requirements also apply. They're not just within the filings themselves. You also have to include some of these disclosures within earnings releases, investor presentations as well, so that you kind of have that full transparency around the use of those non-GAAP measures. Um, so we did kick off, and we've, you know, we've talked about it throughout the conversation so far, that non-GAAP measures are very popular. I think the last I read and you you saw something similar was like over 95% of registrants use at least one non-GAAP measure. I know a lot of people are using multiple non-GAAP measures in their filings and other places. So clearly they're very popular. Can you maybe just explain high level, like why do companies feel the need to include non-GAAP measures? Like what's the genesis for all this rules and regulation around this? Why are they so popular?
1: Yeah. I mean, if you think about it, back to basics, like all registrants have to calculate and present their financials in accordance with US GAAP. And the reason for that is for comparability and uniformity across all of the issuers. Um, but management a lot of times feels that the way that they're presenting non-GAAP measures actually gives investors a real insight into what their numbers and, and their measures are that management actually is using to manage the business, which um, typically, like we said before, in those disclosure requirements, they're required to say how they're using this measure and why it's important. So a lot of times, if you're wondering why they're using it, they've got to disclose that anyway. So that's in there. Um, they may even assert that these measures you know, provide a clearer picture of what the business is, how they're performing, um, what their position actually is. So, um, a big thing is like because these measures are like deviating from gap, um, there's really no uniformity in this calculation. So you just see these like, it just varies widely. It's kind of all over the place (laughs) between the registrants. (laughs) Um, All the
0: adjustments, including excluding certain things. Right.
1: And everyone does it differently. So they just have different reasons behind their methodologies. But um, this can create confusion and unintentionally mislead investors. So um, beyond those like obvious adjustments where we're trying to provide a more meaningful insight into what a company's performance is. um, You know, there are other things where there's like industry specific metrics sometimes. So there'll be specific industries like I know for sure, like insurance industry and stuff. They have certain adjustments um, that just provide more meaningful insight into that type of industry. So sometimes you see that you also see like forecasts and projections. Um, So Management sometimes wants to present a forecast, um, and obviously this is not, like, set in stone. This is expected, right? So, um, you know, these are non-GAAP measures as well, um, but a lot of times they want to provide that that forward-looking uh you know, insight into their company, kind of where they think they're headed. You'll also see this with mergers and acquisitions. So this is really common. Um, we see this pretty often where uh, they want to take a look at what do the companies look like once they're combined. So you've got these combined companies. There's definitely synergies there. There's probably costs that are cut there, or maybe you are um all moving into the same building, you know, and right. like, you know, you've got less lease expenses or whatever that happens to look like. Um so what are these syner- synergies and potential performances look like between the two companies? So a lot of times just aligning between um what that would look like in the future, but those are non-gap measures. Um, and then sometimes we've got management that has compensation arrangement arrangements or agreements um, that are based on certain non-gap measures.
0: Yeah, definitely helpful there to kind of understand all the different places where non-GAAP measures might be used and the value they add for different registrants, definitely facts and circumstances based. Um, can you just, if we're thinking about just non-GAAP measures in general, like what are some of the more common, you know, you've mentioned EBITDA and, and yeah. you, know, you know, adjusted EBITDA, things like that I would imagine are, are probably the most popular, but what are some of the, maybe some of the other measures that we tend to see? Yeah. Uh, companies use frequently.
1: Yeah. So like you mentioned, EBITDA is super common. Um, you'll probably see this in in most uh, companies, financials. Um, You know, that's obviously just your net income. You're backing out your interest taxes, depreciation, amortization. Um, but sometimes you'll see the adjusted EBITDA as well. It's so where they then take it even a step further and they're adjusting it for other items. Yeah. Um, So then you'll also see something really similar to that called your adjusted earnings. So you'll see adjusted earnings pretty often. They're basically taking net income and then adding or subtracting things that are not typically in that gap calculation of net income. Um, so you'll see that pretty often. Um, sometimes these are like non-recurring or unusual adjustments that they'll, they'll back out of earnings. Um, Another one that's become pretty popular that we've seen a lot is your free cash flow. So free cash flow is really saying like, how much money do we have left over from operations that we can use to either like pay dividends or like pay down debt or like, what do we want to use this money for, but how much can we spend? Um, So you're taking your like, uh, your operating activities, so your cash flow from operating activities and then just backing out your capex and that's getting you your free cash flow. Um, Net debt, you'll see pretty often as well. It's a pretty straightforward calculation. It's essentially like, can you, it's a liquidity metric and it's saying like, can we pay all of our debts if they become due right now? Um, So you're taking all of your debt, less your cash, that's your net debt. Um, So definitely a useful measure. I think it's a pretty straightforward measure. It's really easy for investors to take a look at that and be like, you know, can we we get out of this if we need to?
0: Yeah, no, those are helpful. And and definitely ones that, you know, for sure, I've seen over and over used as well. Are there any measures then that the rules call out as being kind of exclusively non-GAAP? In other words, you know, they're included in different filings or, you know, earnings releases, investor presentations, whatever, but they wouldn't be subject to all these You know, non gap rules, requirements, disclosure, things that we've talked about today, you know, earnings per share is one that I think of that comes to mind is, you know, that that's a gap measure. Um, So the rule might explicitly state if you're using earnings per share, you have to worry about some of this other stuff
1: yeah uh, definitely um there's some like when you have operating and statistical measures you'll see things like unit sales maybe like your number of subscribers um there's also things like um same store sales uh so the revenue is presented in accordance with gap but um it's basically you're measuring just for a particular store um you could have um other financial measures that are required for certain regulators you'll see this in the banking industry a lot of the time but um, you'll have capital ratios that are required to um, be reported to those bank regulators
0: okay that's helpful so we've talked a bit over and over today that the sec focuses on non gaap they've you know it's a popular area where they issue a lot of comments comment letters to registrants so clearly there are challenges in applying mm-hmm. the guidance here um, you know, I know sometimes these measures can be intentionally or unintentionally be categorized as misleading by the SEC. Um, there's a lot of times, you know, this term of undue prominence where you're kind of trying to elevate maybe a non gap measure over the traditional gap measures that raises scrutiny from the SEC. So what has the SEC done to help kind of address concerns that investors might have in maybe painting a rosier picture than what true gap financials might suggest
1: yeah so i mean kind of as we were talking about earlier like over the last 20 years basically the sec has just released continual guidance on this um their most recent like cdni was released in december of 2022 and it really touches on a lot of what you were just talking about those misleading adjustments potentially um undue prominence um but misleading really can be interpreted in pretty wide variety of ways. Right. So um, that guidance provides a little further clarification and even a lot of examples of what the SEC considers misleading.
0: Yeah, which I think's definitely been helpful. I you know I've obviously read through a number of those, those, you know, they do it in a very Q&A type style there, I feel like which yeah. was easy to kind of digest. But maybe we can dive a bit into some of those um, more recent interpretations that they just put out. So what are some of the key themes um, around kind of misleading adjustments and things like that, that you know, were included in this most recent release.
1: Yeah. And two probably of the biggest is going to be like your misleading adjustments and your clear labeling misleading adjustments, um, it may not be explicitly prohibited, but it could still be considered misleading. So it again very vague, right? But trying to provide some examples there of what that what that entails. Um, so there could be like discrepancies against what's considered a normal operating expense that can that occurs regularly versus what's truly a non recurring expense. We touched on that a little bit earlier too.
0: So just how you categorize things and right. your judgment of what you think is gets challenged by the SEC as far yes. as whether this is recurring or not.
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, so like one, one particular example is if uh, something is not presented consistently between the periods, um, the presentation of that measure is pretty significant. And like, say you adjusted for it in a different way in the prior period, and now you're adjusting it in a different way, you need to go back and recast that prior period. So if this is a significant change between what you're what you have presented historically, you need to go back and kind of recast so that everything is really consistently presented. Okay. Um, so if something changes in management size, like, we want to change the way that we're adjusting this because of new information because of XYZ, um, then they need to go back and recast sure. prior periods too um but also like you can't just pick and choose kind of what you want to adjust like you can't just adjust for charges and expenses um and not adjust for gains because this can also be misleading for obvious reasons but um basically can't pick and choose what you're adjusting for you need to have like an actual reasoning behind it um and it needs to be consistent um, another point in the guidance is basically um, if you change your pattern of recognition, so like um, or your basis of accounting, like an example, if you went from accrual to cash basis or something like that, that would be considered individually tailored and could be misleading. Right. Okay. Yeah. Um, So then like with clear labeling, it's really just making sure that these non-GAP measures are appropriately labeled, clearly defined. Um, you may be in violation of Rule 100B if you fail to identify and describe these non-GAP measures. Um, or if you present it with a label that doesn't actually reflect the nature of the measure itself.
0: Yeah. And I know we we touched on the undue prominence. Can you just maybe expand on kind of what they hit on as it relates to undue prominence of non-GAAP measures?
1: Yeah. So um, in accordance with item 10E of Reg SK, um, registrants can't place any more importance on the non-GAAP measures in comparison with the gap measures. So this is kind of what we talked about before. Um, but basically, there's a few different ways that you may potentially place prominence on those non gap measures, um, whether it's intentional or not. One would be if you started your reconciliation with the non gap measure and reconciled back to your gap measure can't do that they explicitly state it's got to go from gap to non gap. Um, You cannot present a non gap, like income statement, or reconcile back to this without um, the most directly comparable gap measure. if you presented the non-GAAP measure before the GAP measure, or you intentionally omitted the GAP measure, that would be a red flag. Um, if you do any, like, ratio calculations with the non-GAAP measure, you also have to do it with the gap measure. So you've got to do both. Um, and then similarly to that, if you're going to present, like, a graph or chart, um, like, for example, like, say you're going to have a chart that shows adjusted EBITDA over the last five years or something like that, um, you're going to want to have a similar chart for income. for net income. Yeah. Yep. yeah.
0: So you touched on it a few times as you're kind of walking through that, your last um, kind of response there around kind of the most directly comparable U.S. gap measure. So if a registrant is trying to figure out for their non-gap measure, what is the most directly comparable gap measure? Are there specific? just specific things they should keep in mind. Is there kind of common practice? Like how does the FCC view what is considered the most directly comparable gap measure?
1: Yeah, I mean, thing to keep top of mind is if you're presenting a non gaap measure and it's used for performance assessment, you're going to want to compare that back to some, some financial statement line item in your income statement. Um, similarly, if you're looking at a liquidity measure, you're going to want to compare that back to something in, in your cash flow statement. So that's kind of high level, like the main things you want to focus on. There are some specific call outs, like we mentioned before, um, if you're presenting EBITDA, like you need to reconcile back to net income, like that's specifically called out in the CD&I. There's essentially also if you are doing something like a, a per share amount you're going to want to reconcile that back to your earnings per share that's in your income statement so um so th- there are some specific examples within the guidance but um main thing to keep in mind is if it's performance related you want to reconcile back to the income statement if it's liquidity you're typically reconciling back to your cash flow
0: yeah and in, in some cases probably some judgment that needs to be used if maybe you've got a measure that's yeah. both performance and liquidity base, right. right? Maybe you need to reconcile back to kind of both types yep. of measures. All right, well, that's helpful. And I, and I know also in the guidance, you know, I've seen this come up a few times, is that the SEC staffs kind of indicated that if the reconciliation of the non-GAAP financial measure to the most directly comparable measure is a pro forma measurement that's prepared, but it's in accordance with Article 11, mm-hmm. Um the SEC did actually kind of address this specific fact pattern and said that measurement can be used for reconciliation purposes in lieu of an actual GAP financial measure. So kind of a, a little nuance there for folks that may also be thinking about pro forma measures and how that might relate to this uh, reconciliation process. So let's just quickly switch gears here. Um you know, maybe think more about kind of operational side of things. So, since non-GAAP measures are presented outside the financial statements, we've talked about these are, mm-hmm. right, I guess, K rules and and things of that nature, or they're or they're not even in filings themselves. They're not technically subject to a company's internal controls over financial reporting. Um, Obviously, we've talked about how important they are. We've talked about how many registrants are using them. Yeah. Um, we've talked about the SEC really leaning in hard on these um, and watching the use of non-GAAP measures very closely. So, you know, clearly they have to be reliable. They have to be transparent, things of that nature. Can you talk to me then about how does management ensure that the measures and disclosures they are using in the non-GAAP space, you know, actually are reliable, are not misleading? Like, what what do they have to be thinking about? What do they put in place to kind of cover their bases there?
1: Yeah, so kind of like, as you just mentioned, um, only really the GAAP information is going to fall under your internal controller of financial reporting. So what's in your actual financial statements? Um, But in the case of, like, non-GAAP measures, the preparation of these measures fall under the public company's disclosure controls and procedures.
0: I know the difference, but I don't think everyone here probably knows the difference between internal controls over financial reporting and disclosures, controls and procedures. Like, what are the nuances between how do we distinguish those two?
1: Yeah. So when you think about um, disclosure, controls and procedures, these are broadly defined by the SEC as controls and procedures that are designed to ensure all your required disclosures and information are recorded, um, processed, summarized, reported, Um and all time periods as uh, specified by the SEC rules. So management has to evaluate um, your disclosure controls and procedures on a quarterly basis and disclose in the Form 10-K or the Form 10-Q whether that evaluation was effective. Okay. Um, but on the other hand, like if you're thinking about your internal controls over financial reporting, um, it's limited uh, to providing reasonable assurance about, you know, just reliability of your financial statements um, and the preparation of those financial statements in accordance with GAAP. Um, the objective of internal controls over financial reporting is limited there. So it doesn't extend to other forms of financial reporting. So sometimes too, like management may want to extend, um, the application of their internal controls of over financial reporting, even to those non-GAAP measures, just because they're so prominent a lot of the times, um, they're they're in a lot of earnings releases. You know, like we said, they're in webcasts, all the stuff. They're just, they're out there. So sometimes they want to extend their ICFR over that as well. Even if they do that, their auditors technically are still not reviewing that piece of it. Um, so it may just be covered by a management's um, review of those controls, but technically not covered by the, the auditor's review.
0: Right, because they're just worried about stuff, right, in the financial statements yeah. and the related uh, footnotes to those financial statements as far as like their, their report on ICFR. Yeah, Uh, helpful there, for sure. Um, And so maybe just before we close, I know we've covered a lot today. um, So appreciate all your all your insights so Mm -hmm. far. But just, if I'm thinking about like everything we've covered since we've started uh, this conversation, you know, and and trying to come up with like key takeaways for our listeners here at the end, like, what are some things that you would want to point out to management teams that they kind of need to keep top of mind as it as it relates to just non gap measures and disclosures?
1: Yeah, um, so probably top of mind is that it's, you've got clarity and transparency over these numbers. Um, You're providing investors with meaningful understanding of the company's financial performance, but you want to avoid using like overly complex or confusing metrics that may mislead your shareholders. Um, you also wanna be consistent. So we talked about like, you can't cons- like constantly change every single period, what you're including, excluding, what that looks like. Um, so you wanna have just consistent measures so that as time goes on, investors can really take a look at how you're, if you were say, uh, if the management is asserting that this is an important measure, um, what does that look like over time? Right. So. Um, you also want to avoid the exclusion of important items, of course. Um, you want to use comparable metrics. So make sure that you have the most directly comparable US Gap metric. Um, make sure you have that clearly identified. Um, For forward-looking information you really want to avoid presenting non-GAAP metrics that solely focus on future projections because these can be unreliable we don't know the future always um, and it can be misleading to investors Um, and then you definitely any type of explanation that management is going to put about like why this is important needs to be a plain language explanation Um, we want to be sure that uh, this explanation very clearly describes the purpose um, and the relevance of this non-gap metric um, and ensures that investors like truly understand what the implications are of this metric
0: yeah if management can't articulate it well then (laughs) i'm sure the investor's like what is happening here (laughs) that's that's probably a red flag for sure um yeah and then i would just probably add just a couple things i mean we just talked about controls obviously i think even though icfr doesn't have to apply to your non-gap measures just kind of like the importance and the the prominence of those and the and the use of them and how widely they're used today, I think it's just you know strong internal controls and policies for how you calculate and present are important for for management to keep in mind. And then just overall, like governance, like any any other aspect of the business here, um, just making sure that there's appropriate oversight for um, you know what they're preparing, what they're measuring, what they're disclosing uh that that's being reviewed by either the audit committee the board somebody that has a little bit more authority from an oversight perspective um and making sure that the company is following their um policies and procedures around non-gap so well thank you sarah i appreciate you know i know we've covered a lot today uh like i said a lot of great insight i know you've uh, It's an area that you you help a lot of clients uh, navigate and, and, you know, we help clients all the time navigate, especially even on the comment letter side that they may get from the SEC, um, how to respond on some of this stuff. But an important area, nevertheless, that companies need to be uh, making sure that they're keeping up to speed on and and paying close attention as the SEC continues to provide additional interpretations and guidance in the space, um, really to just enhance that um, registrants are doing the right thing. Uh, But for our listeners, you know, Definitely, if you'd like to continue the conversation, you know, reach out to either Sarah or myself on LinkedIn. We'd love to connect with you guys. Uh, and until next time, thanks for following along on another episode of The County Matters.
1: This podcast is for general informational purposes only. Embark makes no representation or warranty as to the accuracy or completeness of the information contained in the podcast series. And it should not be used as a substitute for consultation with professional advisors. Information discussed in our podcast may also be superseded by new guidance or as new interpretations emerge. Listeners are cautioned to carefully evaluate any relevant subsequent authoritative guidance issued.